0: hello and welcome to the pricing for the planet podcast the podcast that explores the intersection of business and sustainability i'm your host fabian cross and today i have a very special topic to share with you listener when is the last time you felt guilty about booking a flight or when is the last time that someone at your office made a comment about your overseas vacation like that's not very sustainable Indeed, aviation, I have the number, aviation's contribution to global warming is around 3% of global CO2 emission. So that's kind of significant. But listener, there is maybe a solution about that. What if I tell you that plane could run on non-fossil fuel? David, do you want to give the audience a spoiler?
1: Yes. Yes. I think the important thing for the audience to understand is, is both the tremendous potential and the dire need for sustainable aviation fuel. The aviation industry is working really hard to try to reduce its footprint, innovating on a, on a large number of dimensions, from things like designing ever more efficient engines with each new generation, improving fuel efficiency by 10 to 20% over older aircraft, redesigning the aircraft to reduce air drag and optimize payloads, changing their ground operations, investing in battery and hydrogen technology to pursue true net zero propulsion. But in spite of all of those efforts, all of that investment going into overhauling the aviation fleet, emissions are expected to continue to grow over the coming decades. Fabian just mentioned that aviation emissions are a little less Than 3% of the world's emissions today. That's expected to double by 2030 to around 5% without sustainable aviation fuel. Because all of the operational enhancements, all of the improvements to the fleet are just not keeping up with the growing demand for air travel. So even while on a per passenger basis, we are producing far less emissions from aviation, on an absolute basis, we're producing more. Uh, And the battery and hydrogen technologies that are are the long, long, long long-term vision are still likely decades away for being a viable alternative to those large, long-distance flights that drive most of our jet fuel consumption. But the good news, SAF, Sustainable Aviation Fuel, is a mature, proven technology that can quickly scale and can reduce emissions on a given flight by 80% or more leveraging much of our existing infrastructure and aircraft to do so. If the world wants to hit our 2050 net zero targets and the key milestones on the way, SAF needs to be a critical component of that
0: for aviation. Thank you, David. And again, a huge thank you for being here today. I'm quite excited because SAF sounds amazing. And maybe you, you need to introduce yourself because I know you, I know you're a big, you know, subject matter expect on this one, but let's make sure that the, the audience know who you are and your background.
1: Great. Uh, absolutely. I'm David Kaplan. I'm a principal for Oliver Wyman based out in New York. In my time at OW, I've been fortunate to work on both energy and aviation projects. Though over the last several years, I've really specialized in the energy transition, helping Large energy majors and second tier players as well think about uh, how do I navigate the complexities of completely reinventing myself for new products, new value chains, new business models. Uh, I've been fortunate enough that that's led me again to the intersection of energy and aviation, where I'd spent some time at the start of my career with sustainable aviation fuel. So I've worked with both energy players and airlines. Uh, and other players in the aviation energy ecosystem to help them think through their decarbonization commitments, their pathways to net zero, and at the end of the day, heavily focused around how sustainable aviation fuel is going to play into that. Over the last couple of years, I've been fortunate enough to contribute to pieces in the World Economic Forum, Forbes, and of course, the Oliver Wyman Energy Journal to discuss what are the opportunities
0: and challenges with sustainable aviation fuel, just as we're going to do today? Awesome. And listeners, I mean, we are lucky because David didn't mention that, but Oliver Weimine, that's kind of a very, very famous and you know, prestigious consulting firm. And that's kind of a big deal. So we are super excited to, to have David with us today. David, one question today. SAF sounds amazing, but what are the biggest challenges you see today in implementing SAF at scale?
1: Thank you again for having me here and and the kind words about Oliver Wyman. I think I'm going to start with an advantage before I talk (laughs) about uh, challenges. I think one of the important components of SAF is that it's a drop-in fuel. So it can leverage a great deal of the infrastructure and engines and other components of the jet fuel ecosystem that we use today all of the same pipelines the tankage the engines all of that can be used today which is huge and is a big part of why this is the near-term primary viable option with that being said there are two main challenges I'd like to highlight first of all the blend wall which is a reference to the limitations on how much SAF you can use on a given flight right now The FAA and similar organizations across the globe limit airlines to using no more than 50% sustainable aviation fuel on a given flight with the expectation that the other 50% or more will be fossil jet. Frankly, that's not a significant challenge today when we're operating as a a world at meaningfully less than 1% SAF. And that won't be a meaningful challenge for some time as we scale up the SAF industry, but it would certainly ease the logistics burden. And at some point, it will become important to be able to fly over that 50% blend wall. Now, the good news is airlines are already testing flying at 100% SAF blends. Uh, this is something the industry is aware of as a challenge, and people are investing in addressing it from multiple angles. So the reason for that blend wall, not to get too technical, is there's a lower amount of aromatics in SAF than in fossil jet, which has implications for the seals uh, and tubing within an engine. The, the airlines and the energy companies are trying to tackle this from both angles. One, looking at how do we add more aromatics to SAF? Is it through different production processes? Are there aftermarket additives? Various solutions to bring the SAF aromatics up. And from the other angle, the engine companies are looking at what would it take for them to get comfortable with putting this lower amount of aromatics in the engine. So we're working on it. I think a lot of the industry is confident it's something we're going to solve in the next decade Uh, But it's not yet solved. The other issue, and quite frankly, the more challenging one, are the feedstock limitations. So SAF can be made from a number of different products, right? Used cooking oil and animal fats byproducts of the meat rendering industry are two of the largest sources today. But we're already heavily using those for biofuels, and we're starting to hit limitations there. Even if you start to rededicate all of the other biofuels to SAF, we couldn't replace the whole world's jet fuel supply, right? There's just not enough of these biofeedstocks out there. And so there are two options to really try and solve that. Uh, the first option is to invest in expanding those feedstock pools. This can be challenging because a lot of times you want to use waste and byproducts where you're not producing. To make those products. And and so you can't artificially increase the amount of used cooking oil. You can't make people want more French fries, no matter how delicious they are. You just collect the used cooking oil after. But you can do a better job of aggregating up these waste products. And there are large parts of the world today where there's no meaningful aggregation. And so uh, places like Latin America, Africa, Asia tend to have significant untapped potential here where things like used cooking oil are just ending up in sewers rather than in our aircraft engines where we want it. The other option is to invest in new technologies that expand the pool of viable feedstocks. And that's where a lot of investment is going today. So uh, most SAF today is made from a process called HEFA, uh, hydrolyzed esters and fatty acids, Uh, that can be, again, those used cooking oil, animal fats that I already mentioned. We're looking at three new technologies that can expand the pool of viable feedstocks to things like municipal solid waste, bagasse, which can make alcohol to jet, uh, or power to liquid, which is essentially taking green hydrogen made from solar or wind energy or the like, and captured carbon to build a hydrocarbon from the ground up. Now, these technologies are still immature and growing, but they're an important part of our long-term trajectory. While they're not going to drive most of the volume in the 2020s, that will continue to be HEFA. In the 2030s, we will desperately need those technologies to mature to continue
0: growing the SAF supply. Super interesting. And actually, funny enough, I just discovered during lunch that the first flight with 100% SAFT happened during the Christmas break, right? With Virgin. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's a reality uh, now.
1: Yes. So it's it's been tested again. I have a lot of confidence we're going to solve that one uh, in relatively short order as we you know think about life cycles of these projects, relatively short time frame.
0: Awesome. And I, I'm a big car fan. So I have a, a big question. Did, did you see anything related to cars? to replace, you know, traditional car fuel, uh, like the same way you are doing that with SAF?
1: Yeah, Uh, so people are exploring that. And I I mean, the SAF technology stems from renewable diesel, which is being used in cars and trucks across the globe, uh, especially in Europe and North America. Uh, There's a push, especially in light duty, to electrify overusing biofuels. And generally, right, like, electrification can push you closer to net zero than biofuels typically can, with the potential caveat of power to liquid, which is also uh, about as net zero. But likely, I think the the long-term solution for cars, especially light duty, is electrification uh, versus the technology to do that in aircraft is still just decades
0: away. Okay, makes sense. And so, David, I have to ask this question because I'm sure a lot of listeners might think about that. So, let, let's tackle that. How would you respond to those who express concerns about SAF being a form of greenwashing rather than a genuinely sustainable solution?
1: It's a, it's a great I question that. and challenge. And I, I think we see a lot of people across industries looking at environmental and decarbonization claims and asking are we really pushing the needle here are we are we making changes and i guess the first thing to make sure we're all clear on is saf is a proven technology for reducing greenhouse gas emissions the carbon accounting is pretty conclusive on this and i say that when talking about a space where carbon accounting despite the name can be as much an art as a science when we talk about full life cycle emissions right there's a lot of assumptions and best estimates that have to go on to that. So when a bunch of different carbon accounting systems and experts all arrive at the same place, you know that it's pretty clear you're going to reduce carbon. The exact amount varies by both the production technology, the feedstock, and the carbon accounting system you use, but it definitely has a positive impact in major public and NGO organizations Pretty unanimously support SAF as a decarbonization methodology for aviation. It's not perfect. Let's let's acknowledge that, right? Most SAF is going to cap out at about an eighty to ninety percent emissions reduction profile relative to fossil jet. Eighty to ninety percent is a lot better than than your current state, uh, but you're not going to get to true net zero with current-day SAF technology. Power to liquid does open the window to that, though the accounting on that gets a little challenging at times. Uh, But there's also just no viable alternatives to this, right? And so if you are skeptical of of the impact of SAF, your alternative is continuing to fly on fossil jets are flying less which no one both the aviation industry and myself don't want right like i enjoy travel i love going to see new places and so i want to find a way to do that sustainably not give up on it because it's challenging now the key thing to follow through on when you're following the industry is making sure that the governments and airlines and other players throughout the ecosystem that are setting these targets are following through on them right we have a great number of organizations out there that are setting SAF commitments, decarbonization targets, promising to help fund this, both government and private entities. Let's see some follow through, right? Yeah, That's that the was one of, of metric my to follow.
0: No, for sure. And one of the questions I had was, you know, what kind of, what kind of role can government incentives and carbon pricing mechanism play in accelerating investment and adoption of SAF?
1: Yeah. So a huge one is the short answer. I mean, government incentives have been critical to getting a lot of the nascent technologies embedded in the energy transition off the ground. Things like electric vehicles, as we already talked about, wind and solar, helping them bring from wildly expensive technologies to cost competitive with the fossil equivalents. Uh, There are kind of two main mechanisms that people typically talk about the incentives versus mandates uh, and i'll get into those in a bit but the beauty of these is regardless of how much how many dollars the government themselves deploy is it also results in attracting tremendous private sector investment when you have that government support right so as much as you see the headlines about things like the inflation reduction act deploying a couple of hundred billion dollars, which is a huge amount of money, it draws even more private sector investment beyond that because it helps to de-risk the investment. It helps to uh, draw investors to the space. So I want to talk a little bit through some of the trade-offs of incentives and mandates uh, uh, and some examples of them. So we've seen progress in this space in the last couple of years. With uh, in the U.S., we passed what's known as the SAF blenders tax credit, which provides an incentive, a price a tax credit for producing SAF. And in the EU, they've passed the Refuel EU legislation that includes a long-term SAF mandate uh, starting in 2025 and going to six percent by 2030 and continuing to grow past that. Now, these ultimately have very different goals and implications, right? An incentive uh, functionally works to reduce the perceived price of a technology or product to help it appear to be more cost competitive than it is. And that can help, again, to draw that investment to the sector. That can help make customers feel good about using it and and more comfortable with buying it. Uh, And hopefully the goal is that over time, you're less dependent on the incentive as the technology matures. Uh, A mandate, on the other hand, doesn't address the price considerations, but instead says, I'm going to give you long-term visibility into demand, and that will help you to de-risk your investment into the space because you know what the demand is. Again, there's still price uncertainty, but as long as you're cost competitive with the other SAF production technologies out there, you know the demand will be there, right? Uh, and, And so they work in different ways, but both are very important roles. And a lot of countries and governments are deploying some combination of both, despite the fact that I've, I've just spotlighted one or two. The important thing across incentives and mandates is they need to be long-term, right? And so this is where I'll give the EU credit over something the US is, ch- is struggling with. The EU proposal sets targets out to 2050. The SAF Blenders tax credit expires in 2027. It takes three to five years at a minimum, some projects take longer to build a new SAF production plant. And then you expect that asset to have a useful life of 20 or more years. It's very difficult to commit the multi-billion dollars that are required to build an individual plant when the incentive might disappear in three years. Now, The industry expectation is that Blender's tax credit will be extended, but you don't know that. And that adds risk and that scares off some private investors. And again, a key component of these government mechanisms is drawing that private investment so that the government doesn't have to do it themselves. And to that end, what we need is long-term certainty, long-term projections around what this regulation is going to
0: look like. Super interesting. And are you aware of any like airline companies like, like announcing publicly that they will use SAF or that you know trying to mix some SAF in, into the current fuel mix and and then maybe they are trying to increase a little bit the price or do you do you see anything like that or it's way too early?
1: Yeah. Uh. So most European and North American airlines have set. SAF blend targets for 2030 of 10%. Not all of them, uh, but a a majority uh, of Western airlines have set these 10% 2030 blend targets. A few have higher targets, a few have lower targets, um, as well as a number of airlines internationally as well. But I'd say a majority of the ones that have committed are in Europe and North America, which is good because Europe and North America are two of the largest markets for jet fuel in the world um and a fair number of them have also set kind of net zero 2040 or 2050 targets that would imply they need to be using you know majority saf at that point in time we also have players in other parts of the ecosystem like financiers governments uh other players setting saf commitments as well but again uh, and then Another component is end customers, so a fair number of corporate travelers, including consulting companies uh, who are you know, big corporate travelers, are setting their own SAF targets, forming buying alliances, things of that nature to help stimulate the industry.
0: Super clear. And, you know, one of the last questions, David, is what actionable steps can individuals and organizations take to support the development and use of SAF?
1: Yeah, that's a, always a challenging question And when we're talking about an industry that's going to require hundreds of billions of dollars of investment over the coming decades uh, to achieve the scale we need for a net zero aviation industry. But I'd highlight two main action items regardless. First, put your money where your mouth is, right? Uh, the, the airline's SAF commitments are public, right? You can find them on their websites. They're the ones that have them. They're front and center on the website. when you go look at it. you see you know, uh, you see them when you're on the airline sometimes they'll play them in ads. So they're everywhere for the companies that are making these commitments follow up on these and and choose to fly those airlines. Uh, Some of these airlines even offer SAF offset tickets uh, where you can fly net zero based on SAF. Now, that's still relatively niche, but it's out there if that's something that interests you and would make you feel better about that overseas vacation. The other one would be support governments that are following through and helping build this industry, right? Vote. You know there are across different countries, there are politicians who treat uh, <laughs> the energy transition as a necessity and some that treat it as a nice to have right Vote with the politicians that are looking to drive us towards a net zero future uh, so that they pass the legislation that will help to mature this industry because as I talked about, at this stage of maturity, that government those government mechanisms are really important to driving scale. And hopefully in the long term, bringing down the cost to be cost competitive with the fossil jet that we fly on today.
0: Awesome. David, thank you so much. It's such an interesting topic. So thank you again. If you want to continue this learning journey, listeners, you can follow David on LinkedIn. So it's David Kaplan. I will put the the link. You can follow Oliver O -O W, on LinkedIn as well. I will put a link. If you want to follow us, you can go on www.pricingfortheplanet.com and you can subscribe to our biweekly newsletter called the Biweekly Digest. Thank you for your time, for your interests and take care.
1: Thank you again for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks, David.